Hi everyone. Today I am joined by Joni from the Joni Talks podcast, another European FI podcast. He is Belgian, uh, but he is currently based in Luxembourg. And today we chat about what it was like or how he bought property in several different countries in Europe. We talk about how he bought uh, property as an expat, the different processes he went through, by getting a mortgage, etc. And also his own personal FI journey and what his plans are. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta and Matthias. Hi everyone, I am here with Joni from the Joni Talks podcast. Joni, thanks for joining me. Yes, thanks for having me on, uh, Araminta. It's been a while we talked and uh, yeah, glad to be here. I'm a listener myself uh, of the podcast. Great, I, I love when that happens and that's true. Exactly a year ago, I was on your podcast. So Indeed, indeed. One of my first episodes. <laughs> exactly. Very exciting. So before we dive into today's episode, Joni, could you tell us who you are and maybe a little bit about what you do? Yes. So as we mentioned, so my name is Jonathan. I'm from Belgium. And as uh, we mentioned, I'm running my own podcast, which is the Johnny Talks podcast. I run a blog as well. And then um, in my daytime, I have a job as a procurement professional. I live um, at, the, at the moment in Luxembourg, but I have lived uh, in several countries. So as I said, I, um, I'm Belgian, so I lived in Belgium. And then I lived 10 years uh, in uh, Norway. I also lived one year in Paris, which we will come back to later on as well. And then, uh, yeah, now I'm in uh, Luxembourg since two years. Very exciting. You're a perfect person to talk about geo-arbitrage in Europe, it seems, you know, like optimizing between different countries. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, buying property in Europe, the different um, bureaucracy that, that's, that that involves, all the tax advantages, all the, you know, the different details that um, are involved when buying property in Europe. So could you tell us kind of what is the property journey that you have been through in all those travels? You, Where do you own property and, and what were the kind of thoughts behind each decision? Yeah, I think I will take it um, um, one by one because otherwise it's, it will make it complicated. But it's um, So I'm Belgian, but I started my career in Norway. So basically that's where I bought my first property. So this is a classic... Uh, first apartment. So I bought one uh, in 2009. That was a small apartment in the city center in Oslo. And um, I mean, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I just want to to use my money well and to uh, stop paying rent. And I uh, yeah thought, well, I, I'm starting to save up some money, so why not buy an, an apartment? And so I did that with with without much further thought. And then what happened is that as the years went by, the market was uh, was going up, the real estate market in uh, in Oslo. And okay, my apartment grew up in value. And um, what happened is that I was trying to find ways to use that equity. So I was thinking, well, what can I do? I can either sell it and buy a, a bigger apartment a bit further from the city center, or I can uh, try to find some other ideas. And then I came up with buying two additional parking spaces, so which is a bit uncommon. So I think people were uh, looking a bit weird at me when I mentioned, "Hey, I'm gonna buy two parking lots and I'm uh, so, sorry, two parking spaces 
and I'm going to rent them out. So uh, why did I do this? Not because I'm a, a big fan of uh, parking spots myself, but just <laughs> I was thinking of ways to use to tap into that uh, equity and to make a little uh, additional money. So that, that was uh, kind of the, the first, let's say, five, six years. And then uh, to continue on, so I was making, so I had two parking spots rented out. And then an opportunity came at my uh, job in Oslo to be an expat. So then I went to, uh, I had the chance to go to Paris uh, for one year. So I was an expat there. And uh, okay, the, that meant that my apartment was paid for in Paris. And then what I thought is that, okay, well, the parking spots, they're rented out. So I'll keep it that way because my assignment in Paris will be limited in time. So I will go back to Norway after the assignment, which I did. And then I thought, well, my apartment in Oslo, of course, it's mine. So I will rent it out as well. So I started to have not two, not three, but four streams of income. So I thought that was great. And then, of course, this put me in a good position financially, because, of course, when you're an expat, all my living costs were paid for and I had a little bonus from my uh, salary. And then uh, when I went to the bank to apply for, um, sorry, maybe I'll uh, go back one bit here. So then, okay, I was in a good position financially because I, was, I had no um, living expenses. I mean, my apartment in Paris was paid for by the company and I was renting out my apartment in Oslo, plus the two garages, two parking spots. So it was great. And then I was thinking, I started to think even further. I was like, okay, how can I make the best use of all the extra money I have now, all the disposable income. Of course, I could have, uh, you know, gone crazy with shopping in Paris, go to the restaurant every evening or uh, have all the wine <laughs> in the world. And uh, yeah, this is all uh, fun, but I didn't do that. I thought, okay, let's try to be a bit smarter here while still having fun, of course. But then I, I started to look into the, the blogs, the podcast uh, about financial independence, about using your money better, about real estate. And then I came up with the idea of just continuing my journey with the property. So I, I was thinking of buying a second uh, apartment. And then I was um, evaluating several opportunities. And then in the end, I went with uh, buying a, a property in Belgium. Cool. Nice. Uh, so now you have one property in Oslo, Two parking spots in Oslo, right? Yeah, this is, so let's say this is at the end of uh, 2016, 2017. So this is indeed my uh, real estate empire at that time. <laughs> so two apartments and two parking spots. Nice. But then what happened uh, as well, because life goes on, then I went back to my company in Oslo. And then, you know, I really adjusted well to the life in, uh, in France and it was close to Belgium to my, where my family is. I mean, when I say family, it's my parents, my cousins, everybody. And I like that proximity again. And it's true that when you live in Norway, and I think many of the listeners can relate, huh? when, you, when you live far away, it's nice. You can fly easily, except in COVID times, but it, <laughs> it doesn't take too many um, hours to fly from Greece to France or from, uh, you know, from the UK to, to Lithuania, or depending on your assignments or uh, where you live. But then still, I like that proximity because when I lived in Paris, I could go to Belgium in one hour and a half plus half an hour. So in two hours, I was almost home. And then I was thinking, well, yeah, I, I like that. So I want to go back to that. So I wanted, so that's why I then, uh, it's one of the reasons I left then my job in uh, Oslo in 2017 to look for uh, a new position, a new role um, 
Then closer to home, not necessarily in Belgium, but I wanted to come back a bit in the region. It could have been France or Luxembourg or Belgium. But then I was looking to come closer. And then with that decision, with that move, came the decision to uh, sell my apartment and the two parking spots. So then that means that at that time, then uh, once all the operations were completed, uh, I think in 2018, then I had um, only my apartment in, um, in Belgium then. Okay. And you were buying your, you bought your flat in Belgium as an expat, mm -hmm. correct? Correct. Even though correct. you are Belgian. So, yeah, and exactly. So um, what happened is that when I was investigating my options for using, for making the best use of my cash in, uh, while I was an expat, so I was considering real estate and then I was thinking, well, what can I do? I can buy here in France. So I uh, went to the bank. I actually got um, a mortgage approved. And then I had a colleague, she um, was looking at buying property in Spain. And it's been something on my mind um, to buy property in the south of Europe as a holiday uh, apartment, maybe for later, um, not for permanent, but at least it's something that's been on my mind. And then I was evaluating those two options. And then as well, I talked to my parents uh, to, because we, we are pretty open with money and sharing uh, ideas. And then they were telling me that, look, uh, actually... It's great that you are planning to do this. Make sure you evaluate the risks, of course. I mean, they're my parents. Of course, they're concerned with this. And they, are, um, they were saying, well, look, you know, um, in a couple of years, we, want, we have a plan to sell the apartment and rent out. Uh, sorry, and not rent out, and, uh, and rent a place. And then, you know, from one thing led to another. Well, they said, well, why not uh, renting from you instead? Are, are you willing to to maybe purchase property in, um, in Belgium, uh, in, in that city, uh, at the seaside where, uh, where they live. And then I was like thinking, well, maybe this would take a lot of uh, guesswork and research and property management abroad away because who, um, who do I trust more than my parents in this world? Well, uh, nobody. So, um, then we decided to, to go for that option. So in the end, I, um, I didn't go for the mortgage in France nor the the one in Spain, I went for the, the, um, the apartment in Belgium and then I, and I uh, contracted a mortgage a contract with, the, with a Belgian bank. Nice. So I, I quite like the strategy of uh, buying a property and renting it out to your parents. I thought that was quite interesting. And as an expat, I mean, the reason we're talking about this, this particular subject is because a lot of us in the FI Europe world, uh, we think, okay, what is another way to invest our money is to buy property. But sometimes we don't want to buy property in our own country because maybe it's mm -hmm. financially doesn't make sense or uh, we'd rather be in another country, like you said, a holiday home. So I'd love to talk a little bit about what's the process like of buying a property in another country. How do mortgages work? Is it very, how can you find a property without knowing the market? Like I've just, you know, thrown a lot of questions at you, but we can start bit by bit. First one, like, Imagine you want to buy a property in France or in Spain. How would you, where would you start? Would you start with the bank or would you start by going to the city and looking for a property? Yes. So very good question. So first, of course, uh, you need to see, you need to define your reason why you want to buy there. I mean, for Spain, for example, for me, it was more like, um, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I, I speak a little bit of Spanish and um, I really enjoy my time there when I was on holidays and I was willing to investigate and say, hey, why not buy a holiday home here? You know, like maybe then combine it with the renting out, et cetera, or 
whatever. So it's, it, it was first an interest. And then, of course, financially, how do we, how do we start? I mean, for me, I'm in a way conservative in the sense that I like to know my numbers before really looking at stuff. So I started to investigate a bit with my colleague and looking at prices. You know, you, you can look on the websites just to see the prices, just to see if it's possible. And then I started to talk with banks. How do you look for banks? Okay, I, was, um, I had help because um, my colleague was in the process herself. So she talked to one bank. And then I also looked for a bank in France. They were offering mortgages with a French salary uh, two forest uh, homes in Spain. So, so that was a perfect compromise. And uh, so I was uh, contacted those two companies. So then we could, based on my salary, based on my income, on my profile, they could tell me, look, you're, um, you can afford this much of house. Uh, this is what we propose to you. And then once I know my limit, then I can look a bit uh, and I can refine my search and see if there's something that um, that is worthwhile to me if there's something I can afford that would please me and then and then okay then then you go further then you need to visit uh, there you need to 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 see a few neighborhoods evaluate for yourself but okay for me personally I, I like to know my numbers before then it limits my choices as well so I don't waste time and um, yeah, I think that's very important and then you need to go there you need to investigate and. Of course, when buying abroad, uh, my colleague had already contacted a lawyer because I know in Spain, it's, uh, there's no notary. There's, you need a lawyer and a notary. You need a combination, which is not the same as in Belgium or France. The notary also uh, registers the, the property itself. I mean, it's a kind of um, complicated, but then you need to know this thing. So it's good to know somebody that is there or maybe somebody that has gone through the process. So maybe there's ways to do that. You can even go to Bigger Pockets, which is a U.S. website, but there's local forums, so you can find people there. You can look around in your uh, uh, circle of friends. Maybe somebody has done it, maybe not. Maybe they know somebody or maybe Facebook groups. So there's a lot of resources to, to connect with people. And then once you've done that, then you can start to look, start to visit. You need to plan holidays for that, of course. And then you can... Maybe a good idea is if you have the time to, to spend a week, spend two weeks there and, and go instead of uh, going to the beach every day, you go on uh, property hunting. I like that. <laughs> or you combine. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting kind of strategy. of, And I think I really like that tip of looking for someone who's already done it. I think that's really essential uh, because, as you said, every country does it in a different way. We had a, like a couple of years ago, we had these uh, Spanish, they were German and Dutch, and they had come to Spain and they were investing in Spanish properties. And I went on a few trips with them to check out uh, houses and stuff. And it's quite a it's quite a process, especially if you're you're going to renovate it and stuff like that. You know, you you want to be on site. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, that. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. it can be complicated. Um, and every country does mortgages differently and stuff like that. I was actually curious, what do like French or Spanish banks? What is their kind of how do they treat expats when it comes to mortgages? Are they like no, you need a salary, or are they a bit flexible? I know you've you've done three countries. Well, if you include Norway, four. So. What kind of, what, what is their mentality or when it comes to expats and mortgages? I've, I've heard that it's usually pretty complicated, but I'm curious to hear what you, what you, your experience is. No, you're right. It, it is complicated. And um, okay, for the French bank, I will start with that. It was okay because, um, you know, I was living in France uh, then. So I was kind of registered. I was still a tax resident in, 
in both France and Norway at the time, but I had a salary from a company in France. So um, it, it was easy for them to accept. And, and okay, since I was expat, my income level was high and I made a simulation myself uh, to them. So I, I went as a numbers nerd there and I say, look, it's possible. Uh, this is my, um, I mean, I made my own simulation, which helped. Um, and then it was pretty easy. Now for the Spanish uh, bank, it was a bit harder because then they said, oh yeah, you're a foreigner, etc. Okay, your income level is good. So they were proposing me uh, less uh, money, so a smaller mortgage with a higher interest rate. So the interest rate was quite high. So I was a bit surprised because it was almost half of what the French bank uh, was proposing. So I was a bit disappointed, but okay, that's how it is. So it was a bit, um, it was a bit difficult there uh, for the... Um, so you need a certain level of revenue. You know, they really want the, the, the further, no, not the further away, but if you're not there making income in the country, if, not a, if you don't have a bank account or anything, it's very difficult because the bank will want more, more and more security for themselves. And for the Belgian bank, uh, when I was living in France, okay, I had no income in Belgium. I explained the situation. I want to rent it out. But it was... Um, I talked to the bank in the city where my parents already lived. They didn't know me personally, but I explained the situation. And okay, there was a certain level of trust because my parents were living there. I explained the situation. I went there. So there was already a good level of trust before because, okay, sure, I've never been into that bank uh, branch before, but they were quite open. They were, um, they were open to do that. But then what happened is that they will ask you a lot of cash up front. So your uh, down payment Instead of being, I think, in my days, it was a 10%, then they will ask you 15 or 20%. So that, that could be as well a, a hindrance. Yeah, that's, that's usually the case. If you're an expat and you want to buy a property abroad, all the Brits that are buying houses in the south of Spain, it's usually in cash, like as in 100%, because mm -hmm. it's so complicated to get a mortgage. Uh, so it's, it's cool to hear, though, that it's possible. You can get a mortgage. It's just going to be pretty expensive, right? Yes. And then the thing is, I have... Um, I had a Belgian friend uh, who asked me about this and uh, he was living in Norway. I met him there because he said, well, look, um, with my girlfriend, we would like to buy a house in Belgium and this and that, a bit similar uh, as what you've done. But then he told me, uh, I explained him the process and I showed him the papers and everything. But he told me, oh, well, actually the banks got stricter. So that was in 2018. And he said, yeah, the bank got stricter then. So maybe it's even more than 20% you need to to be able to, to afford a place or you need to show revenues in Belgium. So I don't know the exact rules, but he said, yeah, it was tougher. So he could not do it in the end. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, and, and you said that you, you know, created these simulations. That sounds very FI nerd kind of thing <laughs> to do. So how did you calculate the return? Like uh, I know on, on, you mentioned on your parents, you don't have to give us specific numbers, but generally what were you looking for? And even you can say in France and Spain, were you looking on making you know, a good return? What were you looking at and how are you thinking of renting it out, for example? Well, for um, in the case of France, my thought was to have it. Um, I found this company and they, they do uh, rehabs. So they try to find distressed properties, they rehab it and then they rent it out. So they organize everything. And OK, I've checked them out. I called them. Those guys, they look serious. Honestly, they, they look genuine. They're a bit salesy, but but I think they're, they're quite serious and, and all the reviews are positive and there's not much negative and I've been in contact. So I, I trusted them. 
the expected uh, return is 5-6 growth. So, sorry, 5-6% growth. So that was what I was looking at as a return. Then for Spain, I was not expecting a lot. Honestly, I was expecting 2-3%. But it was more like, I mean, the, the idea of owning those properties would be to keep for a long time, not necessarily to make a lot of money from it, but to be able to live in them or to use them as a, as a holiday home in the future. So I was not so much focused on um, making income from it, more like a, just a decent return, of course, but more with the perspective, hey, somebody's going to live in it, somebody's going to rent it out. I'm going to make a little money, but in the end, that person will help me to fund my uh, holiday home. So that was the, the whole goal with it. Uh, with my parents' apartment, so the one in Belgium, my, I think my, um, my return is, is very low. It's like a 2.20 or something. So it, it's pretty low. But here, okay, I have the, the safety that okay, it's my parents. I trust them. I know their financial situation. And uh, my mom is the best. Uh, she, she's the best for if you need anything in your house with uh, regards to uh, cleaning and stuff like this. And um, I mean, I know she will take care of the property very nicely. So I have no worries, no uh, loud uh, parties or uh, that things. And I save on, of course, on the property management because I trust them. So the return is not fantastic, but it's my parents. I trust them. My property, they help me pay the property. And in a couple of years, well, it will be paid off and it, I will have a nice uh, holiday home and I can already enjoy it today. I was there actually last week and it's great. Okay. It's my parents. So it's not a very rock and roll when I'm there, but I enjoy being there. It's peaceful. It's uh, close to the seaside and I love it. Sounds amazing. I think that's a good, uh, I really like that strategy. I hadn't really, well, I do, I, I did know this uh, Scottish guy who did something similar, but instead of renting it out to his parents, he hired his parents as uh, property managers. So he was living in Malaysia, but he had rented <laughs> out, he had bought these properties in Glasgow in Scotland, and then he was hiring his parents as uh, property managers. And I thought that was so clever. Like, I don't know if your parents uh, want to help you out, maybe earn some income if they're already retired. Um, I think it's a good deal because you're helping you're helping them and they have something to do. And um, it's kind of a win-win, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Because that was their plan anyway. And that's the great thing. Because when I told this to some, uh, actually to that um, colleague of mine who was looking at the apartment in Spain, she was like, oh, what? You're going to rent out to your parents? Oh, in my culture, it doesn't happen this way. I said, Yes, fine. But, you know, I mean, you know, with money, I'm quite open. I mean, mm. I, I run a blog myself and a podcast, so I have no issues talking about money. And then I said, look, with my parents, we made a deal. And of course, I, I tried to give them, um, I give them, I asked the, the regular price of the rental to the, to the company that sold the apartment. And I give them a yeah. kind of a discount based on that, you know, so we are pretty open. Yeah. So I try to make it a fair deal, of course, but I mean, it works for us. It's, um, I mean, I, we have no issues with that. I mean, that money they would have given to another um, landlord anyway. So they, they, they might as well give it uh, in, inside the family. Yeah, of course. Of course. Makes sense. Uh, and moving on to tax residency. So you're now tax resident in Luxembourg only, right? Or are you also in Belgium? No, just in... No, I'm only in uh, Luxembourg, indeed. Uh, and so when you were, but there was a point where you were tax resident in two countries, which is France and Norway, right? How did how did you manage that? Or is that something that your company manages? Because double taxation is usually such a headache. So <laughs> is that, yeah, how did you manage that? 
Well, the the company took care of it. It was part of the package, so it was uh, pretty easy. I mean, I had to do a declaration, a tax declaration in France. So, but you know, I had an office. I had uh, an office that took care of that in France and in Norway. Uh, I did it myself because, okay, I usually do it myself, and in Norway, it's pretty automated. It's pretty easy. But at least the French part and the tax equalization part, it was pretty. It was done uh, organized by the company, so I didn't have the headaches. Mm, okay, that's great. The, the key here is to have a great uh, company that will take care of you, <laughs> I guess. Because, I mean, I'm just thinking of the point. If you're already FI, for example, um, and you kind of, I don't know, you have investments in one country or something like that, you're, you're in double, you are a tax resident in two countries. I can imagine that trying to deal with the two taxes can be a bit of a headache. So I was curious to hear what it was on your perspective, but I cannot expand too much, but uh, I can say that uh, yeah. you need to do to know your numbers because uh, someone uh, in Norway made an error. So, <laughs> so I had to be care- You had to be careful as well. So it's not just trusting and giving your numbers. So it needs to make sense. So I had to, there were some errors to, to be double checked as well. So it's, it can be a pain, but luckily I, I okay. It, in general, it was pretty. It was handled pretty smoothly. Nice, great. Okay, um, and moving on more towards your FI journey, you are very much uh, into financial independence. You have your own blog, your own podcast. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about your own journey and um, kind of what you're? What are you trying to? I mean, if you could give us some numbers, of course. But if not, no problem. Uh, when you're planning on FIing, or what your entire kind of strategy is around uh, financial independence. Yeah. So the the funny thing with me is that, uh, okay, I'm 39 today. And when I was in Paris, it's 2016. So I was 35, 36. And and the thing is then, uh, it's really then that I really started to look at FI. And I mean, I discovered FI. I mean, I was looking at making the best best usage of my money. So that's when I kind of discovered all the blogs, the Mr. Money Mustache, the I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I mean, all the references, bigger pockets. That's when it all... uh, came to me. So that's when I started to sort it all out. And I started the blog at uh, the end of 2016. So I started pretty late. And then of course, I I got into that. Uh, I'm very excited about it. And so I have a late journey uh, compared to maybe most of the listeners. But then, okay, my plan is to, um, of course, to to be financially independent um, as soon as possible. And right now the plan is to I mean, if I don't do anything, I should be FI uh, in 12 years, approximately. But of course, my goal is to try to accelerate that just to give me more options. Um, not necessarily to retire early, to, to do nothing of my life, but more to give me options. For example, okay, I live in Luxembourg right now, but let's say in two years, I say, hey, maybe I would like to live in Belgium or maybe to Spain. Uh, I would like to be able to do that. You know, I would like to, to be able to move. So I'm... Um, looking at ways to do that through investing, through increasing income. And that could be through the, um, through the blog and the podcast, making some money from there, just to, to give me more possibilities. Yep, options, right? That's what they say. F-I, uh, the new one is F-I-R-O, I think. Retirement optional or work optional. So that's, that's kind of what you're aiming for, I guess, right? Yes, exactly. And it can be gradual. I mean... In, in theory, I should be FI in 12 years, something like that. But of course, if I can, you know, for example, now I work uh, full time, five days in a week, but maybe if for now, I think that's what is best for me. But maybe, you know, in a couple of years, I could keep the same job and work four days, 
three days, you know, gradually it can be like this or just change completely, but then with a lower salary, just because it's something that excites me more. I mean, I'm looking at this. Uh, so trying to make the best of today and working towards uh, financial independence. Nice. And where, where, where are you growing your wealth mostly? Um, you, you mentioned investments. So is this uh, index funds and are you investing through an international brokerage? What, what are the details in terms of you know, uh, investing in the stock market? Yeah. So, okay, I have the mm -hmm. apartment and then the, the rest is mostly uh, stock markets. And I, um, <clears throat> I live in Luxembourg, but I am with uh, Bolero, which is a Belgian uh, broker. And uh, I registered uh, at Bolero a long time ago when I was living in Norway. So they, they accepted uh, pretty easily. I just have to, when I moved, I just had to fill in a form and uh, that was it. So, so they were pretty flexible with that. So no, no worries there. And I just put uh, some, um, a part of my paycheck uh, every time, every, every month in there. And then I just buy shares. And how is my portfolio looking like? It's about, uh, I think, 40%. Um, 40% uh, mutual fund and in, sorry, index funds. And the rest is uh, individual stocks. Nice. And do you, do you kind of contribute every month and do you do like something like dollar cost averaging? What kind of, what is your approach when it comes to contributing to your uh, investments? Yes, I do the dollar cost averaging. So I, um, I just put a portion of my paycheck automatically from my um, when, as soon as I get paid, and then it goes automatically every month, every first of the month to the to the Bolero account, and then I just buy uh, I just buy into the several uh, stocks and, and uh, index funds. Nice, the traditional FI way. I like it. Pay pay yourself first. Yeah, and I try. Okay, I have stocks mm -hmm. like I have a Belgian REITs, for example. So I just I run through the numbers. And then I just reinforce my positions, etc. So I don't do much complicated things, actually. I've done the work once, and I don't buy much new stocks. I mean, I try to keep with some of the Belgian REITs. I have a few American companies and a few French companies, and I try to stick with those. I don't try to, to make a lot of... I mean, I've made my mistakes <laughs> when I started, buying, trying to buy a bit of everything and stuff like this. But now I try to have a limited numbers of uh, stocks and uh, mutual funds. And um, once you kind of, as you said, you would slowly work fewer days or manage, you know, work optional, you would mostly, you know, be, be taking money out of your investments, right? So right, you would have, you'd have your stock market investments and your property. Uh, is that, these are the main two sources of income. Is there any, any other kind of source of income? And you mentioned your blog, of course, and your, and your podcast. Well, I also invested a little bit in peer-to-peer -peer lending, so but this is very marginal, so it's more experimental. And then, okay, I like to explore a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was in crypto as well, but okay, there's no real income from that. And um, but the peer-to-peer, -peer, okay, it gives a little money uh, every month. So um, I would say that okay, this is more experimental. So I mean, the focus is more now on the um, continuing slowly and uh, not lazily, but continuing to contribute every month to the stock portfolio and then as well to to try to expand on the blog and the podcast. Okay, and and my last question on this topic is purchasing property as a an expat is it something that you think is an interesting or or a good investment strategy uh is it something that you'd recommend to others? What do you think? Well, I think everybody needs to look at what um 
lifestyle they want to lead? Do they want to move every two years to another country? Do they want to live the digital nomad lifestyle or not? Or do they are they comfortable um, staying in the country for a while or do buy and hold but for properties? I mean, everybody needs to do their own research and try to define what they want because what I'm saying this is that you can do anything you want. You can buy in Spain, in France, but then if you're going to... Um, I mean, with properties, one important factor to me is all the transaction costs. The, there's a lot of research involved, the tax, the properties. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of fees. And often properties pays for itself or um, becomes profitable uh, only after a few years. So, for example, in Belgium and in France, you have the notary fees, which can be quite high up front. You know, it's 10 to 12 percent of the property value. So, you know, before you get that back in a way of a rental or capital appreciation, it takes time, you know? So if you sell the place after two years, I mean, you, you've, you've basically lost money. So, so it will depend a bit on that strategy. So if you're comfortable, for example, with the Belgian apartment, I'm comfortable buying and holding for uh, 20 years or more. So it doesn't matter that I had to pay uh, this uh, notary fees up front and registration cost actually, because the notary fees are lower. But it doesn't matter that I pay that amount up front because I'm keeping it for a long term. In Norway, for example, the property fees or the acquisition fees, they're very low. It's like two and a half percent. And so it doesn't matter if you, you so you can have a shorter time perspective. So it, it all depends really on the country's specific taxation rules, property rules, etc. So it is, it can be a good strategy, but you need to do a lot of research depending on where you are. And if you plan to buy a one in every country, well, it can be complicated as well with taxes if you get income from all those countries. So uh, everybody needs to do their own research and see if it's worth it. But I mean, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a capital and energy intensive and money intensive uh, kind of pursuit. I guess over time, it's it does return a lot in different ways, not just money, as you said, safety and, and all the rest. So very interesting. Great. Okay, Joni, thank you very much. We have our final questions that we ask every guest on every episode. Our first question is, where can people find you online? Yes. So my website, where everything is, is uh, johnnytalks.com. So Johnny is a, um, it's a pun with the, the expression money talks. So it's J-O-N-E-Y and then T-A-L-K-S. So johnnytalks.com. I'm on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Johnny Talks. I'm pretty active. Uh, Ruminta can tell. And um, yeah, I think that's it. And you can, of course, send me an email or uh, I think uh, everything will be in the show notes, I guess. Yes, everything will be in the show notes. Great. Our second question is, what is one resource not well-known that you would recommend to others? It could be a blog, a podcast, a book, anything. Oof, uh, that's a bit of a difficult one. I have, uh, <laughs> because I, I read and I listen to a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, regarding books, yeah, I can, um, there's a book I really liked. So when it comes to books, I mean, when it comes to blogs and podcasts, it's a little bit difficult because uh, I'm trying to discover as well. You know, when I have a guest, I'm listening to his podcast or her podcast, and it's great. I read the blogs. So, for example, I recently discovered um, Afford Anything by Paula Panth. It's American, but it's great. I mean, she's, she's, do she's doing an amazing job. And um, what I listen to as well, I, I, there's a guy I met last year at FinCon. His name is Brad, um, Brad Antonio. It's, um, his uh, podcast is Man Overseas, and he's a digital nomad. I mean, not really digital nomad, but he's a real estate investor, and he's been traveling abroad. So he's been living in um, 
Thailand, in Mexico, other places like Prague, I think. And yeah, his uh, podcast is quite interesting. And a book I read recently that I really enjoyed, it was recommended to me by uh, uh, one of my guests. It's uh, Never Split the Difference. And um, it's about negotiation. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it because it's really about listening to your um, counterparty, trying to, yeah, um, how can I say that there was a lot of techniques and try to identify the behaviors. And in the end, it's a lot about communication and listening. And it's even with, um, because the guy, the, the guy who wrote, he was um, a negotiator for the FBI. So he was negotiating with terrorists. And there's a lot of stories on how he managed to negotiate and how to liberate um, uh, hostages, etc. So it's quite interesting. Wow. Well, there you go. Two great. Yeah, it can serve in your life, in your private life, as well as in the, your business life. Yeah, so- sounds great. Two, two great, not well-known researchers. Thank you very much. And my, well, our last uh, question is, what is one, your number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to FI? Yes. So here, again, I have a lot of uh, <laughs> ideas, but... But what I would say is that um, if you're nowhere yet, I mean, if you just listen to this podcast for the first time, I would just start by looking at my um, at my money. I mean, what's my salary? Tracking my expenses for um, two or three months just to to evaluate what I have, what I'm spending on. So you get your salary every month. I mean, if you're in a regular job, nine to five, in theory, you get the same salary every month. So that's a good basis to start. And then you can see, okay, what's my rent or what's my mortgage? Okay, I pay this much. Then um, what have I spent uh, at the groceries, etc. So you can try to figure that out. And with today's apps, etc., with your uh, electronic bank account, usually you can pretty much figure out in the 20 minutes what is left over, what money you have spent on, uh, on fun stuff or maybe that you wasted. So it, it's maybe a first step. Just identify what you have spent on and then... Start to work from there, see where you can improve, where you can reduce cost, maybe save money. And then a quick second tip. I know you said uh, one, but if you're already there, if you kind of have an idea of where you, what your expenses are per month, maybe just start saving anything. It can be, I don't care if it's $20, uh, sorry, 20 euros, 20 euros or 50 euros or 100 euros, just start. I mean, put that automatically on a separate account where you let your money grow. If you don't know yet how to use that money, how, how to invest it, how to save it, don't worry. I mean, just start. That's the most important. Let it accumulate in the background and read, read blogs, listen to podcasts, get informed by a, a professional or by your friends. It doesn't matter. But the first step is to put that money aside and then you can decide later on what you, how you want to, to do that. If you want to save for down payment or if you want to slowly put into a... Um, into the stock markets. Awesome. Great tip. Well, thank you so much, Joni. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh, for having me, Araminta. It was a pleasure. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. 
gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So, yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.